everybody. Welcome back. It's so good to be back with you. We are back for season two, and I guess this is episode one, or it's our second episode, Sam, but we did an intro episode last week, so this is more kind of like episode 2.1. It's season two of our young adult podcast here at First Baptist Church in Huntsville, and we are in the we are getting ready to kick off our what we're calling our straight out of context podcast series or season. And this is a, a throwback to a summer study that we did two summers ago, so the summer of 2019, and it was one of the most popular things that we've done. So we, we were like, hey, why don't we re- revisit that, do it in podcast form, and just see how it goes, uh, see how everybody likes it. We thought it would be well-received because it was well-received before. So here we are, and we're going to do that today. Uh, we had a great talk last week introducing this concept. We met with Dr. Todd Still from Truett Seminary at Baylor University down in Waco, Texas which also happens to be the alma mater of Sam Maxwell and Scott Mm -hmm. Day and Rob Covington and others. So uh, Sam, I know you enjoyed that talk a lot. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. You know, I've been out of seminary for a bit and I worked as Dr. Stills' graduate assistant. So, you know, he just exudes uh, wisdom and brains as a biblical scholar. So, you know, just give yourself like 30 seconds with him and he'll give you a a lifesaver to suck on for months at a time. Yeah, seriously. So if you've ever wondered what it's like to talk to a biblical scholar, that was it last week, man. We mm-hmm. had it. And uh, it was really cool. And the guy, I mean, he's just top top shelf, really knows his stuff. He's a, a Pauline scholar, as we talked about last week, which means he's really an expert on the writings of Paul and the life of Paul. So um, just fascinating to talk to. And I'm sure we'll have him on again, uh, you know, maybe maybe another time for this, this season. So, uh, But before we get too much further, I do want to say we have a bit of news to share. Uh, so I, I want to say that uh, to get us started. So Sam, we have sort of a, a yay you moment. So uh, Sam came in, in the summer of 2019 to start his residency with us. That's typically a one to two year program, you know, just depending on the the uh, the prospect or the, the person. And uh, with that being said, you know, Sam, your time was up coming this June, June of 2021. Goodbye, and, everyone. Uh, right. Yeah, I know, man. It's, it was sad and bittersweet and all that. But the powers that be... I uh, got together and said that, uh, you know, hey, Sam had an unusual year, uh, kind of lost a year. It was a, whole, it was a wash. So they went to Sam and said, how would you like to stick around for another year? And Sam, you said yes. I said yes. We were right again. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Sam, you're, One you're more with round. us. You're mm-hmm. with us. We can't, can't get rid of you, man. And you mm-hmm. can't get rid of me. So yeah. glad to have you here. And then we have like a yay me moment too. Like, so uh, for those that don't know, I've not been to school in a long time. It shows sometimes. And I it's just kidding. <laughs> uh, I have decided to dip my toe back into that water. So I applied and got accepted to the Doctor of Ministry program in Port- at Portland Seminary in Portland, Oregon. So that'll be a program that I will be starting in the fall. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, after three years time, as long as I get my assignments done and do a good job, I will be mm-hmm. a doctor, Dr. Lemons. So from now on, when you go and get your soda at the soda bar and you see the lemons, take a picture and say, Dr. Lemons. It's no longer just lemons or peaches. Seriously, man. Yeah, I know. If I ever teach a class, I'll be (laughs) Professor Peaches. So it's just, you know, one more step in my mission to be uh, a villain in in the next Incredibles movie. Mm -hmm. Dr. Lemons, Professor Peaches. That's that's all it sounds like. Maybe a Clue character. If they ever make Clue again as Mm -hmm. a... uh, as a movie or a new version of the, the board game. Or just join the Marvel Universe and fight the Joker and some other folks. Man, come on, you know that's wrong. <laughs> so, uh, well, we'll jump into our topic for today. Today we're going to talk about Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, which is probably one of the most overused uh, verses uh, in, in all of the Bible. So straight out of context, this was, like I said, something we started two years ago, and it was a look at 
the most misinterpreted or misunderstood verses in the Bible. And so, yeah, today's um, Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm sure, Sam, you've heard it misused multiple times. I know I have as well. I've um, misused it a few times. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't put it past you before you got your your degree with Dr. Still there. So um, <laughs> with that being said, I mean, let's, try, let's dive in. Let's, um, let's take a look at it and talk about it together. And um, we'll put some links and stuff, anything that we reference here uh, during the show, we'll put it in the, sh- in the show notes before uh, for you to go, go to uh, when you're, when you're done listening to this or as you're listening to this, I'm going to read it from the NIV, Sam. And uh, mm-hmm. this is probably the most um, common or most seen uh, version of this uh of this verse. So here, here's what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So this is a verse commonly seen. Yeah, really. I mean, commonly seen on plaques, seen on keychains. You see it a lot uh, in May. Um, so we're approaching the time of year where you will see it at uh, graduation ceremonies or on graduation cards, uh, often given to high school graduates, college graduates. Sometimes I've seen it, you know, used in terms of uh, weddings and that sort of thing. And it's generally interpreted as a, you know, X, Y, Z sort of thing. So almost a formula. So if you do this, um, then, then God's going to bless you. And, and that's something that I think in, in Western society, in America in particular, like we're just uh, very fascinated with the idea of being blessed by God. Um, so I think that leads into this misunderstanding of this passage. Um, it's it's very much an idea that the best is going to happen to you and only the best. And so mm-hmm. you graduate from college and God has a wonderful job lined up for you or a wonderful career or whatever. And I think a lot of times the idea that goes with this um, with this passage is sort of a Scrooge McDuck kind of uh, mm-hmm. kind of idea. If you're familiar with that, you may not be. Although I hear they're remaking DuckTales, by the way, because they're remaking everything. DuckTales, but, but the idea seriously, the idea of uh, there's a there's a famous scene from DuckTales in the intro uh, intro song of Scrooge McDuck uh, diving into diving off of a diving board into just a swimming pool filled with gold coins. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of the idea I think that people get when they when they interpret this verse or when they use this verse a lot of times in the ways that are um, really not not how the verse is intended to be used. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's a, a little sliver of truth in it, right? We, uh, as Christians, as people who have experienced the crucifixion and the risen God in Easter, right? We believe that we have a good God and God intends good things for us as his people. Um, and I think sometimes we can, maybe move that into places where it just wasn't intended. Uh, even in a lesson last night talking about the Psalms, you know, we reminded that even though we can sometimes stand with the author in the place to experience it, we have to recognize that it was written to a particular people at a particular time with a very particular context. And much like Dr. Still said last week, to take it out of that and to give it application that the author never intended and the hearers would have never understood means that we're using the Bible for something or the text for something other than what it was meant to be for. Right. And it's very much something that is for us, but not to us. And as Dr. Still, Still said last week, and an example that I've used before, uh, this is, we're reading other people's mail. Mm-hmm. Um, another way to look at this would be um, t- typically a wrong way to look at a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11 is to think that it's, it's written to me or it's written about me. And it's not, it's written about a particular people in a particular place in time. It can be for us in the sense that it can teach us about the nature of God or the character of God or the nature of us. But uh, the promises a lot of times that you see that God makes to the people in ancient Israel are promises to them. 
sometimes there are promises that are made that extend to us, covenantal promises and things like that. But a lot of times there are things that are just tied to the given period of time in which these people receiving this word are living. I'll give you an example of this. Um, the, the, the musical Hamilton was, has been a huge hit the past couple of years. It was a hit this summer. It came out on, on Disney+. Plus. There's a line in there um, that says, uh, history has its eyes on you. And I think if we were to look at Hamilton the way a lot of us look at the Bible, we would then say like, oh, history has its eyes on me and make it about us when it's not about us. It's a song in the context of a show saying history has its eyes on you about Alexander Hamilton, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the way that it's said, you can take it out of its context and then you can make it about yourself and you can say like, I'm a big shot. History has its eyes on me, mm -hmm. but that's not, I mean, you're misusing the quote. And the song and the, and the show, if you do that, and you do the same thing when you do that to the Bible. Now, Alexander Hamilton was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Lin-Manuel wrote it because he read the biography of Alexander Hamilton and saw a lot of parallels to his life and to his, his own dad. And so he was like, I see this. I see a lot of parallels to what we're going through now. You know, the old adage that history repeats itself. So he decided to write a show about Hamilton but that also had sort of a parallel track and what it has to teach us. And also he saw a parallel track to the story of his own life. So you can do mm -hmm. that with the Bible too. You can kind of see where your story fits in with the story of the people of scripture. Mm -hmm. But when it gets to that line, history has its eyes on you. That's not about you. That's, mm -hmm. that's about Alexander Hamilton. When you get to Jeremiah 29, 11, that's yeah. not about you. That's about the people in Israel at the time that, that Jeremiah is writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of my seminary professors and dare I call him a, a friend, uh, Dr. Roger Olson at one point said, you can gain a lot from historical theology by entering into conversation with the theologians. Now, that may be difficult for a lot of us just because we'd say, well, hey, they're dead guys. Um, but still, you can go in and enter in the conversation and say, well, I see where things in this text or what he's saying has to do with this other thing. And I think you can have a conversation with Jeremiah, much like you said about the book of Hamilton and the author of the play Hamilton, even if it's not about you, you can still see yourself standing at different places or experience through the text as it was experienced by the people at the time. And much like, you know, Dr. Still said, you know, I th we have to be very intentional not to make it about ourselves. And I think our culture often can encourage us to make it about ourselves. But, you know, as we start looking at the text, um, if I remember correctly, last summer, you had a couple of points of here are a couple of things to do every time you look at a text to, to get a better idea of what it's about, how we should read it. Do you have those points handy, John? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I had, these are sort of John's four rules of interpretation, um, and who Dr. am I? John. Nobody. It's soon to be Doctor John's four <laughs> rules of interpretation, but but not yet. So I, I got a, a while to, to, to wait. But um, these are things that I've learned and I've picked up. And uh, and when you're looking at a Bible verse or a passage, I think these are just good rules to kind of keep in mind. The first one is how does how does the way that we interpret it, or the way that you've heard something interpreted, apply to the life of Jesus, or even to the life of the writer? So if we look at the life of Jeremiah. You know, and, and this verse where the Lord is saying, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. How does that apply to the life of Jeremiah? Well, it doesn't because Jeremiah is called the, the lamenting prophet. Um, he's a guy who ministers for 40 to 50 years, somewhere in that time frame. And there's no public record of the people having a positive response to his message. 
Mm-hmm. So imagine having a, po- a pastor at your church for 50 years that nobody responds positively <laughs> to, and that's Jeremiah. So you can't even use this verse in the way that we misinterpret it. You can't even use it that way to apply it to the life of Jeremiah. So, mm-hmm. so, I, so that's the first one. How does it apply to the life of Jesus or the life of the author himself? Um, when you see a verse on a keychain or on a plaque or whatever, do you typically only see one translation used? In this particular case, the answer is yes. You almost always will see the NIV, and there's a reason for that, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Third uh, part of the the context of looking at you know how how to interpret what a verse might mean is what did it mean to the original hearers? So we talked about can it apply to Jesus? Can it apply to the author? But also what would it have meant to the people that originally heard it? And so we'll talk about that as well. And then the last one is is just an old adage: interpret the Bible with the Bible. And what that means is when you get to a part, and you can do this with confusing verses too. You can do this with verses where you're like, I'm not sure I know what this means, or I'm not sure I like what this says. Interpreting the Bible with the Bible means go to other parts of the Bible where the character of God is revealed, where you have a understanding of, um, you know, what's being revealed about God or about us or whatever, and use that to pour back into some of these more confusing parts or some of these parts where maybe a verse is being taken out of context. Mm-hmm. And so you, you get an idea, you, you interpret it with the, the, the picture that the entire Bible is revealing of us and of God. So those are like kind of the four things. And I'll, I'll put those in the show notes as well, but we'll mm-hmm. we'll revisit those each time as well. So yeah. And that last point you you made, I think it's really important that we don't see the Bible as Old Testament and New Testament, right? That's kind of a mm-hmm. largely just a way that it allows us to organize it and talk about it, even the books. Um, but as modern Christians, we believe that the entire book is one continuous story. So you can't separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. So if you're reading something in the New Testament or in the Old Testament, it has to also be in line and participate with the story of Christ and Jesus and everything that he's been doing. So much like you said, interpret the Bible with the Bible. Don't take something and say, well, this is what I think it means. And just be like, well, it's not corroborated anywhere else or I can't figure it out because the whole Bible is informing itself. The whole Bible is a continuous self-revelation of God coming and making himself known. So I just to emphasize that point. Yeah, well, in, in the Old Testament, there's a, there's a phrase that says, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. Mm-hmm. And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Did I say that right? I think that's how yeah. it goes. I don't know, um, but it sounds good. Yeah. So the idea is that they are connected. That that it's not a plan A and a plan B. It's a plan A from the very beginning, and mm-hmm. and you see this thread leading us to Jesus from page one of the Bible in Genesis chapter one. We'll see that with this. That this passage is very much about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about. It's not just about what the people are going through. It is about that. But it's very much leading them to Jesus, even though Jesus won't set foot on earth for another 600 years after this is written. So we'll talk about that in a minute as well. Mm-hmm. Before we go, I think I think the main thing I want to get, th- get through to our listeners is we've all experienced when plans go awry. And that's, that's really the context that you have to take into consideration when you're looking at this particular passage. Now, how can the average Bible reader know that or understand that? There's some tools that you can get on your own that um, that would help you with a greater understanding of things like this. A study Bible is a great uh, purchase, a great resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can buy um, you can buy sort of Bible overviews or Bible summaries um, or just books that kind of help explain what's going on or what's the context behind a particular book. And then there's a great website called thebibleproject.com that does that everything's free. They crowdsource it. So if you end up using it, I would suggest making a donation, but but they do a really good job with visuals and then with podcasts and things of explaining 
what's going on in the biblical story overall um, so that we can understand what's going on in these little pockets where we're picking out passages and verses. But mm-hmm. the main thing to understand here is the idea of we've all experienced when things go awry. We've all had those moments where things did not work out according to plan. And so mm-hmm. for me, I'll, I've shared this story a couple of times before. I shared it a few summers ago when we when we were together. Um, I'm I'm the type that likes the the sort of Christmas card Hallmark moment of, mm-hmm. you know, like we're sitting in front of the fire and uh, everybody's got their red sweaters on and we're eating cookies. Like I'm very much for like the sentimental like this is the way life should be or whatever. So I I took my family on a vacation to Disney a number of years ago now. Uh, because I mean that it's the most magical place on earth, right? And and you're supposed to go there, and it's supposed to be this bundle of fun, and all these all these commercials. The kids are enjoying it so much, and the families are all happy, and this, that, and the other. So I very much had this picture in my mind, this romantic picture of uh, this is going to be the best vacation ever. And and so you know, we went to Disney, and we did have a good time. We had a um, a six night, seven day uh, t- uh, ticket or pass there, and so we did that, and we got to our seventh day. And the plan the whole time had been for us to uh, go for about half a day to the park and then to leave because we didn't have a place to stay that night. And we had to get home because we had a house sitter at our house and she was taking care of our dog and she couldn't stay another night. So we had to get home because we had to get home to our dog. I made the unilateral decision because I wanted this magical Disney Christmas card type vacation that I said to Emily, I said to my wife, I said, uh, hey, I'm why don't we just stay at the park all day, get our, our full money's worth? Because that's the other thing about me. I'm a cheapskate and I hate, <laughs> I hate, you know, feeling like I'm, I'm losing out on what I, what I spent my money on. And so I said, let's just stay until the park closes. I'll drink a Red Bull or whatever. And I'll just drive through the night. The kids will zonk out in the car and we'll make it home in time to let our dog out in the morning. And so she was on board with that. And uh, we decided to stay. We were at the Magic Kingdom for longer than we had originally anticipated. So we got to the mid-afternoon or early evening and just the the full effect of six nights of little sleep and a lot of sugar for my four-year-old and my two-year-old just added up and came to a head <laughs> at that moment right before dinner time on our last day. And they just flipped out. And Emily was over in... Um, Oh, Main Street USA doing some shopping and I called her. I mean, literally, like I'm I'm outside of Casey's Cafe where they're, you know, if you've been to Main Street USA, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. They're literally like flipping over chairs and stuff like that. All these other families are trying to have their Christmas card <laughs> moment, eating dinner, and they're looking at me like, What's the matter with you? Get your get yourself together. And um I call Emily and I'm like, We have to go. Like, we have to go now. We can't stick around for the the fireworks. Like, this is over. And so I'm frustrated and I'm embarrassed and I'm, I'm pulling the kids behind me and we meet up with Emily and we start walking out of the park. And as we're walking out, you know, it's Disney, right? It's magical. And so the, the, uh, the worker there, as we're walking out, uh, the mouseketeer or whatever, um, says, uh, have a magical evening. Mm-hmm. And I went, not tonight, man, not tonight. <laughs> and, uh, we're walking out, we get outside and I, I, I turn around and look behind me and I say, Take a good look around, girls. This is your last memory of Disney World. I hope you like it. And uh, we went off and, and got in the car and drove away. Not my proudest moment, not my finest moment. Uh, but it was a, a full picture of this Christmas card image that I had in my mind that completely went awry, that completely went not according to the plan that I had.
And we've all had those moments. I'm sure you've had one like that too, Sam, where nothing goes the way we think it's going to go. And then we find ourselves saying, well, what do we do now? And that's sort of a similar setup to what's happening in Jeremiah chapter 29. So mm-hmm. just to give you some historical context, at this point in time, uh, Israel and Judah, Israel was one nation of 12 tribes. They've divided in half. So about um, 300 years before this, they had a civil war. And so the, the nation divided in half into Israel, which was the Northern kingdom and Judah, which was the Southern kingdom. Now Judah was where Jerusalem was. Israel sort of um, drifted away from what we would consider um, traditional Yahweh worship. Yeah, Yahweh mm-hmm. worship, or, or it's, it wasn't Judaism at that point. Yeah, Yahweh's. Uh, yeah, so Israel had drifted away. Judah were the ones that sort of sort of stayed true. And I say sort of because you'll understand what's happening. In 722 BC, um, so about 200 years after the Civil War, the Assyrian Empire comes and invades Israel and um, defeats them and carries them off into captivity. And, and so that's like this huge wake-up moment for Judah because they're like, whoa, like there are there are siblings. So imagine this isn't a perfect illustration, so don't don't take it too far. But mm-hmm. imagine the U.S. sort of divided in half between the North and the South, um, and Canada comes and and invades the North and takes everybody away and takes them back to Canada. The rest of us are all going to be like, holy cow! Like what what mm-hmm. happened? Like we used to be brethren, and um, that's that's just crazy. Um, and so. Judah, they're a little freaked out by it, but they're also like, but we're God's chosen people. Like we've got the temple, we've got Jerusalem. Surely nothing will ever happen to us. And then beginning in around the year 605, so you're talking 115 years after that, Mm -hmm. the Babylonian empire comes in and they invade Judah and they begin over about a 20 to 25 year period, they begin deporting the people from Judah back to Babylon. They leave a few of them in Judah, but for the most part, they invade and take them back. And so that would be like, Mexico coming and being like, all right, we're going to deal with the rest of you. And so now you've got almost nothing left back in the promised land. And and again, you, the people that are living through this and that know the history of what all what else has happened are now like, what has happened? Because God has made all these promises to us. Like, we're his people. Has he forgotten about us? Um, you're talking about a people whose national story and religious story was delivery from slavery. Mm-hmm. And now they've all gone back into slavery. Uh, in two different cases. And so they're kind of like, is it over? Mm-hmm. Like, has God abandoned us completely? Um, so that's yep. that's really the context that you have to keep in mind. And it's while they are in captivity that they get this message from the Lord that comes in a letter from Jeremiah where he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and plan not to harm you and plans to give you hope in the future. And so that's kind of what's going on. And, and it's key to understand that they're in captivity when this is Happening. So then if you look at the, the next couple of verses of this, verses 12 through 14, and we'll look at the NIV, this is God talking to him. And he says, then you will call on me and you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And this word seek here in verse 13 is actually two different Hebrew words, but it's it's two words that when they're used together in Hebrew, they indicate a sort of a heartfelt seeking. So this isn't like the type of seeking where like, I lost my car keys. I don't know where mm-hmm. they are. Let me look for them. I'm going to flip over the couch cushions. Oh, there they are. This is like, I've lost my child or my dog has run away and I don't know what I'm going to do. It's more of a um, deep, heartfelt, um, like almost a panic kind of seeking mm-hmm. is what is intended when you see these words. And then verse 14, 
when you do this, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. So again, keep in mind they're in captivity. And uh, he says, I will, I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you. And I will bring you back to the place from which I've carried you into exile. Mm-hmm. And that's a key part of um, the story to understand too, because God is taking the credit here. God is saying, I've sent you into ca- captivity. I've sent you into exile. This isn't Nebuchadnezzar. This isn't Babylon. Like I've allowed them to come and do this and send you away because it's a part of the plans that he, that he has for them. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll see that uh, if you have a different translation where it says, I'll bring you back from captivity, Sometimes it'll say, I, I will restore your fortunes. And that's that's just an interpreter's. Um, this is where you understand like the Bible's written in different languages. And the Hebrew can actually mean two different things. It can mean I can bring you back or I can rescue you from captivity or I can restore your fortunes. Mm-hmm. And when we hear restore fortunes, like we're, we think Scrooge McDuck again. We think like, oh, I've lost all my money. I'm going to get it back. You have to think of the word fortune in sense of uh, fate or in sense of if something is unfortunate um, it doesn't mean like I've lost all my money. It just means like, oh, that's a shame kind of thing. So when it says like, I'll restore your fortunes, if you have a, 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 a version that says that, it's really what it's saying is I will restore your fate or I will just kind of make bring things back to normal. I will mm-hmm. restore things to the way they used to be or the way you feel like they should be. So that's a key part to understand as well. Yeah. A couple of things that stick out to me, especially as I went back and read the chapter in verse one, Jeremiah is in Jerusalem. So the people are carried off into Babylon. Jeremiah is not even with them. Um, He had been telling them for a long time, hey, get your act together, start honoring God, do what God tells you or someone's going to come and take you away. They get taken away. He's writing them a letter that contains all of this and the things that God says. And what kind of strikes a little bit deeper for me in verse eight, it says, do not let the prophets and those who are among you like deceive you. And then it says, for the plan, for God knows the plans that he has for you. So it's a, you know, what are these people saying? These people in Babylon are probably saying, oh, God's going to come any day. You know, we're keep your bags packed. It's going to be over. God's going to come deliver us because we're God's people. And because we're God's people, he has to come take care of us. And Jeremiah's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. God is saying like, no, he's not going to come. Like he will come eventually. Hope is still there. Salvation is still coming, but it's not yet. It, don't listen to these people. Don't be deceived. Yeah, it will come eventually. Yeah, that's one of the challenges that Jeremiah deals with. That uh, we don't even have time to get into today, but it's fascinating. If you do read the book, he deals a lot with false prophets and Mm -hmm. what the false prophets are doing is saying, "Oh, it's not that bad." Because again, you got to think about the questions that people are asking. Like, has God abandoned us? Mm -hmm. Like, is this all over? Because we, our story was we were delivered from slavery and now we're slaves again. And so you have all these false prophets that come along and they basically are, uh, Paul talks about like be weary of those who tickle the ears. I think it's Paul that says that in in the New Testament letters. That's sort of what these false prophets are doing is they're sort of telling the people what they want to hear. And they're saying, oh, don't worry, things will be back to normal soon. This will last maybe two years and then, and then God will overthrow the Babylonians Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we'll be set. Um, Similar to probably kind of what we heard uh, early on in this pandemic, Sam, you, there were yeah. some who were like, oh, this will be over. God will take care of us. And here we are a year later and we're still mm-hmm. still dealing with it. Um, so that's another, I mean, we can get a whole discussion about false prophets and mm-hmm. what is prophecy really another time. Um, but that was definitely an issue that Jeremiah was dealing with. And, yeah. and that was a lot of times why the people weren't listening to him because he wasn't saying what they wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get into that now because that's, ex- that's what verse 11 kind of leads into. So yeah. 
uh, he goes, um, what do you do when, when your story goes from bad to worse? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause that's, that's what's about to happen here in verse 10. Yeah. Um, just to give you uh, another example of that, my, my story from Disney. Um, so we left the park. I told you that part. We start driving through the night and outside of Atlanta at about three in the morning, um, I blew a tire and, uh, I mean, like it was, it was mm-hmm. in shreds. It was awful. Uh, so now here I am stuck in the middle of the night in Atlanta, I mean, everything's closed. Um, I'd have to call like an emergency tower, which is like way more money. And again, I've already told you I'm a cheapskate mm. and, um, and I've got to get home cause I got to get home to my dog. And so I put the donut tire on, on our van and, um, end up having to drive home cause you know, on the donut, you're only supposed to go like 50 miles yes. and no more than 50 miles an hour. <laughs> so like I'm in Atlanta, I'm trying to go back to Chattanooga and, um, we end up getting back on the interstate and, and I mean, I set the cruise at like 45 and put my flashers on and um, stayed in the right lane and, and probably took us three hours to get home <laughs> from there after I changed the tire. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was crazy. We get home at about 7.30 in the morning. Um, at this point, it should have been an eight-hour drive and it had been 12 hours since we left. And we pull in our garage and as I'm pulling in, I see the stream of water shooting from one wall of my garage into the other and boring a hole mm-hmm. uh, where the water's going through on the other side. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So we, we've blown a pipe uh, in our kitchen, between our kitchen wall and our garage, uh, in the time since our house sitter has left. So not only did I have the disastrous non-Hallmark, non-storybook um, sort of Disney vacation, mm-hmm. but then I blow a tire in the middle of the night and I get home and I've got a, a busted pipe in my kitchen. And uh, to make matters even more crazy, while we were on vacation, the day before our um, our busted pipe, we had just switched homeowners policies on our mm-hmm. insurance. And so we'd just gotten a new company for our insurance. And so I had to call them and was like, hey, I know this is the second day I've had coverage with you. I've got a leak. And of course, that raised a bunch of red flags. But what do you do when your bad story goes to worse? And that's what happens here in verse 10. Because what the Lord says to these people through the prophet Jeremiah, who are now in captivity, and they're now wondering, has the Lord abandoned us? He says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So, so the Lord is saying like, I do remember you. I do hear you. I will fulfill my promises to you. But when 70 years are completed. Mm-hmm. So what that means is like, you guys are going to be there for the long haul. You're going to be there for 70 more years. And if you and I think about that for a second, Sam, if I think about like my life 70 years from now, I don't have one. <laughs> you probably don't either. Yeah. Like if you, if you do, you're on the tail end of it. So Basically, think about everybody who's hearing this. They're hearing, yes, I've led you into captivity. I've allowed this to happen to you. It's for my purpose. You're going to be there for 70 years. In other words, you're going to be there for the rest of your life. You're not going to taste freedom again. Mm-hmm. Everything that you once knew, you're not, going to, you're, not, you're not going to know again. But I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. That is where this verse comes in. And so we typically share... Jeremiah 29, 11, when life is most bright. So we'll say, hey, you know, happy graduation or happy wedding or whatever, like all these good times of life. But God actually, when he originally shares this to, to with his people, he shares it when life is most bleak, when it is at its absolute worst. And they're thinking like, what's next? What can get worse? Mm-hmm. And God is saying like, no, I remember you. And I can I can work with this. And I can lead you out of this and I can make you more into what I intended you to be. 
You know, when, when I look at this, what screams out to me is a choice. And it, going back to the history, right, the people who were in Israel, the northern part of what formerly used to be the the kingdom, the whole kingdom, like they disappeared into the population. Like we have no more record of them after a certain point. And so that's one of the one of the depths of the story is that the people going to Babylon, they didn't know if they were going to come back or not. Um, but there is a choice, much like when you had to put on the donut, right? There is a hope in the future. And are you willing to spend the three hours driving 45 miles an hour with your blinkers on after a really long day, knowing that, you know, buckle in, baby, we're just going to be sitting here for a long time and we're going to suffer through this, but we're going to get home eventually. And it may, we may have other hiccups along the way, but we're going to get to that prize piece at the end. And so the choice that, like I mentioned here is, well, you're embedded in this population that is very far away, that is so distinctly different from yours. You're being told to embed yourself here among them and participate because you're going to be here for a long time. So do you listen to these people saying like, no, don't do it because we're going to be out of here in no time? Or do you stay faithful and do what you need to do and just wait out that donut ride of sorts? Um, and, I, and I think one of the really cool things is there were a lot of them who did because we have the continuing story, but there are even some people who say that the wise men who come to look after Jesus following the star, they're like, maybe those diviners were actually Jews who didn't come back, who still lived in their land, who knew the prophecies and knew the things to look for. Um, so we know that they had the choice and they still chose to follow God despite how hard it was, despite having to put the donut on their van after not having a magical kingdom experience and having the kids scream in the back and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, um, one thing I think, um, where we can misinterpret or misapply this, uh, what's what's happening here is, um, and I want to I want to go ahead and clarify this is what God does here is not a formula. It's not um, you know a lot a lot of times I like to say about the scriptures that they are descriptive. They're not necessarily prescriptive. So what that means is in this particular case, God says to them, "Yes, I've led I've led you into exile. I've led you into captivity. I've allowed this to happen because I know the plans I have for you. And I'm going to make something good come out of this." Mm-hmm. So does that mean when bad things happen in our lives that God is allowing it to happen or God is causing it to happen? in order to make something good out of it. And, and I would say not necessarily, because there's a huge difference here. So if like I were to come down with a terminal illness, does that mean God is saying like, oh, well, it's because I'm going to make this good thing happen? No, because what 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 is different and what has happened with these particular people is God has used prophets like Jeremiah and others. There's, there's um, 17 prophets. There's 17 books of the prophets that you can read in your Bibles. And there's other prophets that are talked about in the books of First and Second Kings, um, First and Second Chronicles, that don't have books that are preserved for us in Scripture. But there's multiple prophets is the point. And they repeatedly are saying to the people, hey, turn from your wicked ways or something bad is going to happen. Turn from your wicked ways or Babylon's going to carry you off. People were saying to the people of Judah, if you don't change, like you're going to be just like Israel. Like God's not going to protect you from what happened to them with the Assyrians. Mm-hmm. And so they had direct warnings. And so in that particular case, like that's how prophecy works. Um, if someone had said, hey, this is going to happen to you if you don't stop doing this, and then it happens, then you can say like, oh, okay, this is like a direct cause and effect of what God is doing. Mm-hmm. So if someone says, hey, don't smoke because you might get lung cancer, that's more of an idea of the cause and effect of what is happening here. So, so don't necessarily take what's going on here where God is saying, I caused this to happen so that I can make something better out of it to think that that happens mm-hmm. all the time. It's more along the lines of like what I said, like, hey, you know, don't smoke cigarettes and you probably won't get lung cancer. <laughs> if you do smoke cigarettes, you probably will get lung cancer. Mm-hmm. That's, kind of, that's kind of what's being, what's being done here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
Well, let's look at um, really um, the other part of Jeremiah chapter 29. It's really setting up what's happening in verse 11. And that is in verses four through seven, which is some of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And this, I think, adds so much power to Jeremiah 29, 11. And I think makes it, when you look at, dig down and look at the history behind the verse and the actual meaning of the verse, I think it makes it so much more meaningful and valuable mm-hmm. than the way that we commonly interpret interpret it. So Jeremiah chapter 29, verses four through seven, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all of those who have carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So uh, a couple of key things to understand here with what's going on. Number one, all of these yous are not singular. They are plural. They are being written to a people group. So this is where English fails us. And if you were to interpret this into Southern vernacular, Mm -hmm. this would be, uh, I know the plans I have for Mm y'all. So that's the first thing to take into into account. This is a a promise to the people of God, not to you, not to me, not to anybody graduating from college or high school this May. So a couple other things to note about this passage is that it is all directly correlating to our mission as the people of God, both from the time God planted us on earth in the Garden of Eden and also um, going all the way to the book of Revelation. So so if you look at the two stories um, in Genesis and in Revelation, you have the Garden of Eden, which is where God put us and what he intended for us. And in the book of Revelation, you see the city of heaven coming down, joining with earth, and in the middle of the city is a garden. So the whole story of the Bible is how do how do we get back to the garden? Because we had the garden at the beginning, we lost it, and everything that happens in between is how do we get it back? How do we get to that closing chapter of Revelation where we're in the garden again with God in a city that he brings down to earth, not that we try to build up to heaven like you find with the Tower of Babel, right? So everything that happens in the Bible in between those two stories is about how do we get there? And when Jeremiah chapter 29, five says to plant gardens and settle down and to eat what they produce, it's a direct correlation to these, to, to what's going on here. Basically what he's saying is be a part of planting my kingdom of bringing my kingdom to earth and, um, and helping it grow, helping it spread. The idea of giving your wives and daughters in marriage, or giving your sons and daughters, not your wives, giving your sons and daughters in marriage, the idea of increasing in number, number there, that goes back to Genesis as well, the idea to be fruitful and multiply. So what God is saying is you're in captivity now again, which mirrors, which is a parallel to where we find ourselves as Christians in 2021. We're in a place that we don't really belong. We are in captivity to our sin nature. Um, and so what God is saying is, in the middle of that, settle down and be a blessing where you are. Seek the prosperity of the place where you are. Increase in number there. Plant gardens. So plant the kingdom of God. Be kingdom of God people. Be people known for your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Be people who are known for your uh, love of God and love of others. That is what this is meaning when he says plant gardens. So in Huntsville, in North Alabama, wherever you are, be a blessing Seek the peace and the prosperity of Huntsville, because in doing that, you will find your own peace and prosperity. And that's the other key part of this is that word that is translated prosperity in verse 11. 
is translated peace and prosperity. It's translated both of those words in verse seven. And it's one word in the Hebrew. And the word is shalom. And the word in Hebrew, shalom, it's translated most often peace, but it means way more than peace. What it means is more kind of like harmony or more kind of like the way things are supposed to be or the way things should be, right? The way life should be. And we all have this concept in mind of, of the way life should be. And that's what it's getting at. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you shalom, plans to give you life as the way it should be, which is describing our kingdom life. Once we've shed uh, this sinful nature and kind of the bonds of captivity to sin that we're in now, God's plan is to give us shalom, a peace, a harmony, a wholeness that uh, that we were meant to have all along. And if we, f- if we seek that shalom, that peace and prosperity for the places where we live, if we seek to be king- kingdom people who are planting the gardens of the kingdom where we live, we will find our shalom. We will find our peace. We will find our prosperity in that. We will be made into Christ likeness um, through that. And that's the other part of this. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six talks about Jesus. Um, it's, it's one of the prophetic verses talking about the coming Messiah. And it says, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That word peace is the word shalom. He's the Prince of Shalom. That is what it is talking about. I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you shalom, plans to give you Jesus. You as a people group are going to be given Jesus. And we've been given Jesus. And when he says, seek the peace and prosperity, seek the shalom of your uh, of the place where I've sent you for your 70 years on this earth, Seek the Christ-likeness of Huntsville or North Alabama for the lifetime that I've given you in this period of time where you're in captivity to sin. Seek that Christ-likeness. Plant your gardens there. Increase in number there. Fulfill the calling I've given to human beings. And in so doing, you will find your own Christ-likeness as well. And that is what Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 really means. And Sam, to me, it is so much more powerful uh, in that context than just Hey, you'll you'll get a good job and make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good word. Awesome, I've preached. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, man, um, Sam, it's been fun. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, like I said, episode two point one. So, uh, we appreciate uh, you being here today, and we appreciate our our listeners being with us. We will be we will be back uh, next week looking at Philippians chapter four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strength strengthens me. And uh, we're going to have a guest next week, my friend Chad Poe. He's a pastor down in uh, Houston, Texas. We worked together at my last church. He's got some great insight on this passage. Um, He's got some great stories to go along with it. And so I've reached out to him and asked him to be a part of our conversation, and he will. So looking forward to that. Um, If you've liked today's episode, we encourage you to share it uh, online, your social media channels, wherever you are. Give us a rate or a review. If you're on Apple Podcasts, we'd love to... Uh, you know, drive up our, our influence there. Um, I don't think you can do that on Spotify or anywhere else, but share or review us please, mm-hmm. wherever you are. Uh, and then as always check our, um, check our show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have some notes on there linking to things that we talked about or, or, um, you know, want to direct your attention to, um, going, going away from here. Any last words from you, Sam? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, comment, rate, subscribe, share. If you see us in the hallways or see us around town or you want to shoot us an email, tell us what you liked, what resonated with you, what maybe you want to learn more about or something that you're not quite sure about. We'd love to talk with you and have this discussion with you. I mean, John and I are having discussion about it, so we'd like to include you in all ways. Yeah, and we like uh, we like donations. We <laughs> like uh, gift cards. We like grabbing lunch and coffee. So yeah. 
reach out to us for that at any point in time as well. Want to give a special thanks also to Patrick Chester. He is doing our sound engineering uh, for our episode this week. So shout mm-hmm. out to him. And uh, he's one of our own. So it's, it's awesome to be working with him on that end as well. So that's all I got. Thank you guys for listening today for our, our look at Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 and straight out of context. We'll be back, like I said, next week with Philippians 4.13. We'll see you guys then. Just...